The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing two key topics for you as an investor. Number one, low liquidity. And number two, forced diversification. We will dive into the, each of these topics individually and also the interplays that you will see as you manage your investment portfolio. Before we dive in, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Simply hit pause in your podcast player, whether that's your Apple Podcast app, Podbean, or whatever you're using to listen to this podcast, and go to the ratings and reviews for this show. Please leave me a rating, five stars if I'm continuing to do a good job, and a short one or two, three-sentence review, because the written review also really drives the algorithms that cause people to find the show. I need more than simply just the numerical rating through the stars, and I would really appreciate you taking the time to support the show. Your support will help me to grow the podcast audience and help me continue to do and produce this free educational content. Thank you for your support. So let's dive in. I want to talk about low liquidity stocks. If you listened to the recent podcast that interview that I did with Jeff Gannon, you'll hear about some low liquidity stocks that we discussed. And importantly, by buying into low liquid stocks, you're going against the grain in the market, but that doesn't matter on its own. What's really important is that stocks with low liquidity offer higher returns than stocks with high liquidity. There's been multiple studies done on this where the liquidity in a stock is inversely proportional to the return that you can receive from that investment over the long term. This is especially true in the microcap space, which is where I like to focus because I think that there's less people fishing in this ocean going for the same companies. So if you're buying company stock in one of the S&P 500 companies, a company that everyone has heard of like Apple, Amazon, Facebook, um, General Electric, Disney, if you're buying one of these large major companies, there's going to be two things that are common amongst all of them. One, they're going to be very highly liquid. That's going to mean you're going to be able to trade in and out of your possession position instantly. You're going to be able to sell your stock 
instantly to another willing buyer because they're trading millions and millions of shares a day in these large companies. The second thing that's going to be true is that everyone knows about these companies. You're competing against the very best in the market. Your competition as a DIY investor are other DIY investors, pension funds, professional investors, hedge fund managers, mutual fund managers, ETF managers, index funds, um, traders, all of that. And that's true, especially if you're investing in the large cap space in large companies that are well-known in the S&P 500. What this means is that you're going to end up relatively likely to have lower returns because you're going to pay higher prices for a company. And this is what I've talked about before. The higher price you pay for a company, the lower your ultimate return. So if you can get a company with the same prospects for a lower price, that's going to end up being a better result for you in the long term, especially repeated over many, many investments. So the importance then of the of stocks that have a low amount of liquidity. So instead of trading a million shares a day or 10 million shares a day, you're trading a thousand shares or 5,000 shares or a hundred shares a day. You're able to compete against less people. Hedge fund managers and professional investors cannot compete with you if you're buying stocks that are highly illiquid, which means that they don't trade a lot of shares on any individual day. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, I can eliminate competition and increase my edge over my fellow investors by focusing on the companies that they are not able to buy simply because they have to manage other people's money and manage too much money in assets. If you own and you're running a billion-dollar hedge fund or a billion-dollar mutual fund, you cannot buy microcap stocks. Um, or at least not in any sort of volume. And that means that you have an opportunity to cut out some of the competition. I said before that when you're competing in the S&P 500, you're not just competing against other individual investors, you're competing against professional investors, people who spend 40, 60, 80 hours a week focusing on learning and reading about investing. This is a mistake. If you're able to spend five hours a week, you do not want to be competing against people spending 50 hours a week on their investing. They're going to be able to learn more about their com- the companies than you. They're going to be able to understand and do better research, deeper research, wider research to better get an edge over you. So what you need to do is you need to invest where they are not investing so that you don't have to face that competition. And that means you need to focus on areas that are less liquid and smaller, like microcaps and specifically low liquidity microcaps. Because when you compare microcaps that are highly liquid to the pair microcaps that have low liquidity, the low liquidity microcaps heavily outperform the high liquid microcaps. And for comparison, the data that I'd seen was something on the range is that highly liquid microcaps might have returns in the zero to one percent range on a typical year because they tend to have a lot of companies that are popular. Um, There might be frauds in there, a lot of pump and dump schemes that only works if you have a lot of stocks trading, a lot of shares being traded quickly in and out. But low liquid micro caps are usually more reasonable businesses. They're less likely to be frauds because you know that if it's a fraud, someone's going to be pumping and dumping the stock. So if there's not a lot of shares being, the share price is likely to rise very quickly. So you might see 
outperformance between low liquidity and high liquidity in the microcap space that exceeds 10% per year or more. Um, and so there's a lot of benefit for being in those low liquidity stocks. But importantly, when we think about competition, your competition for low liquidity stocks, it took out all those professional investors. If you are competing against professional investors, you're competing only against the smallest ones. If you're buying companies that are only worth $5 million, $10 million, $50 million, you're not competing against $100 million and $200 million funds. You're now competing against other individual investors that aren't investing full-time, or if they are investing full-time, aren't managing a whole lot of money, or you're competing against professionals with a very small amount of money, so they're either earlier in their career, or they haven't yet attracted a lot of experience and money to their strategy. It also means that if they do become successful, they're going to tend to leave the space over time as they decide rationally in a lot of ways to accept more assets under management and grow their assets to reflect their high skill level. That allows them to earn more money, but it lowers the competition for you. So as a DIY investor, as an individual investor managing your money, you want to look for the areas that have low competition. Just like you want to buy companies that don't have a lot of competition, that have pricing power, you want to compete against other investors in areas where there's low competition because that gives you pricing power as an investor in the stocks that you buy, you could be more demanding at paying a lower price and still get a high return. However, if you are investing in highly liquid stocks, there are some caveats with that. And one of the key ones that I want to bring up is that in some ways, this can force diversification on you. So Jeff Gannon, who I had on the show in episode 45, his preferred number of stocks that he holds is five. He wants to hold five stocks at 20% of his portfolio each. And that means that he's going to pick the very best stocks that he comes across, the ones that have the highest chance of success. And when they do succeed, have a high return on investment and a very low chance of failure and when they do fail a very low total risk in those investments when you're investing in only a few companies you're able to do this you're able to focus on your best ideas and you're able to eliminate a lot of ideas because they're simply not going to be one of your top five ideas if you only have a portfolio of five stocks then you need to only focus on companies that have a chance of being one of your five favorite ideas If you can see in your initial analysis that that's not possible, you can quickly move on. However, when you're talking about focusing on low liquidity stocks, there's the added complication that you might be forced to diversify a little bit more than you would like. And this comes about because you might not be able to buy enough shares of the companies that you want to buy because they're not being sold at the prices you want. There's not enough people offering those shares in the market, and it might take you weeks, months, or years to acquire the position you would like. This means that if you wanted to hold a 20% position of a $5 million stock, it might take you a long period of time to acquire that position. What this can allow you to do is that it might mean that you want to end up holding more than five stocks during the time that you're trying to acquire additional shares in the companies you want to buy. And this is what I'm calling forced diversification because it's where you don't really want to diversify, but you're forced to because the liquidity is just too low in the companies you'd like to buy. 
So if you're able to only build a 5% position, then you might end up having to own more shares than the five stocks that you want to own. This is relevant because I tend to like Jeff Gannon's philosophy of five stocks in 20% increments. Unfortunately, I currently only have one stock that is a 20% position or more, and that's the one I talked about um, in that podcast, NACO, North American Coal Company. Um, if you're thinking, hey, coal company, why would you ever invest in a coal company? You should probably listen to episode 45 where we discuss it and the fact that it's not really a um, what you think of when you think of a coal company. Um, so it's it's probably worth investigating. But the problem that I have is that when I look at my portfolio today, I only have one company, NACO, which I think is worth holding a 20% position. There's other companies that I've held close to a 20% position and maybe they're down and I'm not really interested in adding more because of leverage or other effects where I've talked before about how it can be dangerous to invest extra money in highly leveraged companies um, and average down in them because they're going to work out great if they're leveraged anyway. But by averaging down, you're increasing the overall risk of your portfolio. But basically, that's the problem I have with my portfolio today. I like some companies, but they are illiquid. There's a company that I own in my portfolio right now that somewhere in the range of 3 to 5%, depending upon um, how the market's doing that week or that month. And it's at that point because that's the amount of stock that I was able to buy in the market. I It took me, I think, six weeks to acquire the 5% position that I hold in the company. And that was bidding for the stock every single day. I left a bid on the market every single day. Um, sometimes I raise the bid, sometimes I lose, lower the bid, but this is a highly untraded stock. Most days the stock trades zero shares. Um, I think they trade somewhere in the range of, um, they probably average a hundred shares traded every month. And I was trying to build a position much bigger than a hundred shares, um, and it took a very long time to even get the five percent position that I wanted. Um, and there's some other reasons I'm keeping it five percent. There's some more information I would like to learn. It's a dark stock, so the company doesn't provide a lot of financial details. You have to ask for information um, from the company itself and they'll mail it to you so you get mailed physical financial reports instead of accessing them online or through the sec um and so there's some other reasons for that diversification but ideally this is a company that for comparison just to give you some basic metrics has been growing earnings 100 percent per year for the last three years and is currently trading at a earnings per share of four and a half so when you think about that sort of um metric it really gives the idea of why, hey, this is a company I'd like to own more of. With those metrics, those are the type of metrics that you'd like to own a 20% position in, but it's just really hard to acquire the shares. Um, I think it'd be easier, I could acquire all the shares I want if I just offered a really high price, but in order to get the prices that I want, um, it takes a very long time. So this has forced me to diversify. And so instead of having five 20% positions, I have one 20% position plus position. I have a couple 10% positions and I have five, six, seven, three to 5% positions. And it's because they're one, a little less liquid. The best companies that I like are very highly illiquid right now. 
um, and they're hard to acquire the shares. And then when I'm trying to then fill in the gaps, I'm filling in cheaper companies of potentially higher liquid shares um, that offer some additional advantages. They offer the diversification in the portfolio. But in particular, what I don't like is holding cash. And I don't like holding cash for a few reasons. One, currently cash gives a very poor return. Right now, if you own cash, you're basically receiving anywhere, depending upon your broker or depending upon whether you're investing it in CDs or short-term treasuries, somewhere between half a percent to 2% interest. Um, somewhere in that ballpark, you can earn about half a percent to, to 2% on your cash, which is terrible. Um, historically, you could have had times where you could earn 5 or 6% interest on your cash, um, and that's not that long ago. Um I'm fairly young and in my lifetime that's been true. So it's certainly something where cash offers a very bleak return and the opportunity cost in cash is pretty high because I have enough ideas that are good to decent where I could buy 10 to 20 stocks if I wanted to, if I put 5% in every position, but I only have one or two ideas that are worthy of a 20% position. And what that's done is that I've been forced to diversify my portfolio. Part one was due to low liquidity and part two because there's insufficient conviction in my ideas. So there are ideas that I like. There's companies that I like. They're good businesses. They're quality businesses. But the price is good, but not great. You know, these are maybe wonderful companies at fair prices, but I would really like to buy wonderful companies at wonderful prices and get my, you know have my cake and eat it too. I think that's the sort of thing that you should be looking for as an investor. And it doesn't take that much time if you're just reading some investing blogs, you're getting ideas, you're putting in five to 10 hours a week into your investing process. Over the course of a year, two years, three years, you're going to be able to come up with some ideas that can help you flesh out an investing portfolio. But for me, the problem I've run into is although I find plenty of good ideas, I find very few great ideas. So NACO was a great idea for me. That's why I put 20% of my position into it. But it's actually made my diversification problem even worse now, which is a good thing here. But basically, when you put your 20% of your portfolio in a company that doubles in a year, um, or doubles over that time frame. Well, now you basically have a 40% position in that stock. So the problem is, is when I look around, you know, I have a company that's trading at 10 times earnings, grew earnings 50% of the last year, could grow them going forward. I have really no predictability into their earnings. But when I see a company trading at 10 times earnings, that's a pretty good price. So NACO's at a really good price still. And so I don't want to sell a company to diversify when that diversification only makes my potential return in the portfolio worse. That's called diversification instead of diversification. The point of diversification is you're trying to, you know, spread out the risks and improve the overall risk return profile of your portfolio without reducing return. Well, if you are taking from a really good a really good idea, a really good company that is high quality, that has a good price, and you're putting it into a company that you're less confident in, that's going to generally be a mistake. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find the next NACO in my portfolio. I'm trying to find a company that I can put a lot of money in, 20% of my portfolio, 
or at least 10 plus percent of my portfolio in and feel confident that my money is both safe and it's going to grow rapidly over time to exceed my discount rate of 10%. And especially with the overvalued general stock market now, that can be somewhat hard to do. So like I said, I found anywhere from 10 to 20 pretty good ideas. Like I said, if I was putting 5% of my portfolio into 20 companies, I feel like I could fill up that portfolio um, without really overspending for any company. But I don't want to have that portfolio. I want to have a portfolio where I have a lot of really good ideas that I put a lot of money into and expand my returns that way. But I've been forced to diversify because I don't have enough conviction. And it's for different reasons. Um, One, the price isn't low enough. So sometimes there's a company I like, it's very high quality, but it's just a fair price. And a fair price is okay. And I think it's, it's okay to put your your money into a fair price company that's wonderful and you're going to get probably a pretty good return off that in the long term but it's just not to the level that I want and so I might put in three to five percent because it's going to return well it should do better than cash and so I feel better that I have a good company it's growing earnings and everything and but I'm just not confident that it's going to really knock the ball out of the park in terms of my returns. But then another reason is that maybe the company is just okay. It's a decent business, but it's not a wonderful business. It might be at a really good price, but I'd rather own high-quality companies trading at low prices instead of just owning low-quality companies trading at low prices. But if I find a low enough price on a company you know, that still has positive earnings, then I might want to put 3 to 5% of my portfolio in that because it's trying to reduce my cash portfolio. I don't want to hold a lot of cash because I'm not growing my money at my 10% discount rate as long as it sits in cash. So if I can find investments that are exceeding my 10% discount rate, then I want to try and put some money into them and diversify as much as I can, even if I'm not as confident as I would be for a core position. And for here, core position is a company I'm going to put 10 to 20% of my portfolio in. So talked about quality of the company. We talked about price of the company. The other thing is that in some cases, I've been having to buy cyclical companies. I don't like the idea of cyclical companies, but sometimes if you buy a company in a cyclical trough where the earnings are down or the earning and they should turn around in the future, they should be turning around, then you might put some of your money into that company. The alternative is sometimes I'm putting money in companies that are cyclical and I think the market's about to turn. And so again, that's risky. And so you might have the risk that the earnings actually drop instead of grow. And so what I'm seeing is there's opportunities out there to earn my 10% annual return but they just require a little bit more risk than I'd like to take for a core position, but not enough to justify not buying the stock. And that's where you get into this forced diversification. In my ideal portfolio, and I basically adopted it from Jeff Gannon, which is why it was a thrill to interview him, is that is to have five stocks in 20% each. That would be my ideal portfolio. But what I'm really in is I'm in the 10 to 15 stock range, And that's largely driven by the fact that there's just not enough great deals out there on wonderful, high-quality businesses that I want to buy. And it's not to say that they they don't exist. 
It's just that I don't have the personal conviction in the companies that I'm aware of and in the research that I've done. And that's really what it needs. There's only so much of investing that you can get from someone else. You could hear me listen to this podcast. You could hear the podcast episode interview that I did with Jeff Gannon, where we talk about some companies that we're both interested in and both we've done research on. And it would be a mistake for you to listen to this podcast and go make an investment in one of those companies just because we talked about them. You need to understand the companies you're investing in at a really granular level. You need to understand the business model. You need to understand the financials. You need to understand the risks. You need to understand the opportunities, the growth. Um, What is the value? What makes that company different? What makes them free from competition? And you're never going to be able to get that by adopting someone else's idea. You're never going to be able to get that from just listening to someone else and, and someone else's stock pitch. All a stock pitch can get you and all you can get from an investing blog or a podcast like this is an idea. And what you have to do is you have to take that idea and do your own research and build your own conviction. There are companies that I hear about all the time that investors that I respect are investing in that I take as an idea. And when I do my own research, I don't like it as much as they do. And that's fine. Everyone is going to have their own investing style. So I'm a value investor. And my guess is, as a listener of this podcast, most of you are going to end up being value investors because you tend to self-select according to your style, depending upon what podcast you choose, what blogs you choose to follow. Um, But in terms of that, you're going to have your own unique style of value investing from me. Maybe you're not interested in low liquidity stocks. Maybe this episode's bored you. Maybe this episode's a new exciting area that you've never thought of before. The key is, is that you need to find your own style and you need to adjust it over time as you learn more and as you find things that you understand. You know, I talked with Jeff on my 45th episode about a company called Neckar, which sounds like a great idea. Um, It's trading with an enterprise value of less than zero. It has a lot of cash on hand. It's basically a net net. Um, it's earning money, but it's cyclical. So for me, the cyclicality of the business was a negative. But I like what I've learned from Benjamin Graham's style of investing, and I know that buying net nets tends to work out very well as an investor. But when I did my research on it, it was hard for me to justify buying into a cyclical company because I don't know how well the earnings are going to work out. I don't know... If I'm really just buying a bunch of cash with a terrible business attached or if I'm buying a bunch of cash with a good business attached, Jeff was comfortable with the risk and comfortable with that understanding, but I could not get there myself. Now, maybe I'll get there in a year and I'll have to pay a higher price accordingly, or maybe I'll get there in a year and the price will be lower. It's impossible for me to predict, but it would have been a mistake for me to take simply his idea and the knowledge that an investor that I respect has made an investment to simply adopt it for myself. I've made that mistake in the past, and it's always worked out badly for me. I invested in Bank of America because Warren Buffett invested in Bank of America during the financial crisis. I knew nothing about Bank of America's business. I knew nothing about their earnings, their financial portfolio, their risks, um, all the losses they were experiencing due to their acquisition. And 
it was a mistake. I ended up selling that investment at a loss because I had bought it simply because Warren Buffett made an investment. Now, the fun thing is if I had kept that investment, I probably would have um, about 10x my money from that time or 5x something, 5 to 10x my money since that time if I held it the whole time. But the problem was is I was unable to hold it because I didn't build my own personal conviction. So that's my challenge to you is that you need to build conviction in your stocks because if you do not have good conviction, if you're not strongly certain in your analysis of a company, its future prospects, and the value you're receiving for a stock, if you can't point to a stock and say, this stock is priced for $65 a share and I think it's worth at least $100 a share and this is why, then you should not be buying those companies because you don't yet understand enough about what that company does and where the value comes from. So do not blindly listen to other investors. You need to really dive in and understand for yourself. And I urge you to do that. It's in my. It's always in my disclaimer that you need to do your own research, do your due diligence. And the same is true even for the companies I mentioned in the podcast and the ones that the guests mentioned. Do your own research. Take it as an idea. Take it as something to learn about a company. Even if you look at a company, you learn about it, that's going to help your investing process in the future. It's going to make you a better investor, even if you don't invest. So it is good ideas to take ideas from other investors, steal their best ideas, learn about those companies. But it is not a good idea simply to invest in a company because someone else is doing so. Because again, If you do that over and over again, you're going to end up forcing yourself to diversify because you don't understand your investments enough. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Basically, low low liquidity stocks and the benefits of doing so, buying them, but there's also the risk that it would force you to diversify more than you would like because it's hard to acquire the shares you want. And you also might be forced to diversify because you have insufficient conviction in your ideas and there's not enough good ideas out there. I do this myself because I don't like the current returns on cash and I think I will have higher returns as a portfolio in the long run if I stay mostly invested in stocks that I can find, cheaply priced and available for investors to buy. So thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're not following me on Twitter, at Trey Henniger, that's T-R-E-Y-H-E-N-N-I-N-G-E-R. Follow me at at Trey Henniger on Twitter. That's where you're going to get the latest updates to the podcast, new episode, other thoughts that I'm reading in the media. So please consider following me on Twitter. Consider giving me this podcast a rating and review. Um, Again, the review is really important on that as well. Your comments and your feedback help me to grow the podcast audience. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 46. You can also sign up for my mailing list, my email list on that website, although I warned that I have been less than adequate in my emailing out my newsletter recently. But I hope to get better at that in the future. Um, The best way to keep in touch with me again is through Twitter. If you choose to become a patron of the show, you can receive exclusive insights into my personal investing process through the DIYinvesting.org slash membership program. Go to DIYinvesting.org slash patron or listen to episode 11 to learn more. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. 
please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.